This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. Welcome to another episode of Preservation Oaks. In this series, we introduce you to professionals from museums, cultural, genealogical, and historical societies across the United States. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the program. For being here. We have a great program for you today. This is our July 4th Independence Day episode. So happy 247th birthday to America. I hope everyone has a great, great day. Of course, we're celebrating July 4th, 1776, which was the birth of the United States. It's the day that the Declaration of Independence was signed, officially separating the United States from the United Kingdom. For this episode, we greet Mr. Ron Wanamaker, the president of Preservation Burlington, located in Burlington, Vermont. Preservation Burlington is celebrating their 25th anniversary in 2023. By the end of this episode, you will want to join them in their mission to preserve and protect the historic architecture and livability of Burlington through education and advocacy. So get ready to jot down Preservation Burlington's contact information, which we'll share in just a few minutes. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe coming to you from Salt Lake City, and this is Preservation Oaks, the internationally syndicated original talk program on MicroStream Radio, where we feature information about museums, cultural and heritage institutions, historical preservation and genealogical societies across the United States. By the way, our main platform is preservationoaks.podbean.com, but you can find us on nearly all podcast platforms as well as Rumble, Getter, Minds, TikTok, Facebook, Odyssey, and YouTube. So wherever you listen to the program, I really appreciate it when you like, comment, follow, or subscribe. If you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the program or if you have questions or comments about the program, spin off an email to preservationoaks at gmail.com. On our next episode of Preservation Oaks, we're doing something a little different. There's a YouTube channel where the creator of the channel travels all around the United States and internationally, bringing a common man perspective to each location. It will be fun and interesting, and I think I'm going to enjoy meeting and chatting with Scott about his motivation and his travels and bringing you something a little different. All right, that being said, let's get this show snapping. Our historical July events for this episode. On July 14, 1885, Sarah Good became the first black woman to receive a U.S. patent for her invention of a folding cabinet bed. On July 4th, happy birthday in 1885 to Louis B. Mayer. 
He was a motion picture executive who founded the Hollywood film studio Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, or MGM, and invented the star system of actors. Happy birthday on July 5, 1867, to Mr. Andrew Ellicott Douglas, who invented the dendrochronology method that's used for tree ring dating. Happy birthday on July 9, 1802, to Thomas Davenport, who invented the first completely electric motor. And happy birthday in 1819 to Elias Howe, who invented the first American patented sewing machine. Happy birthday on July 11, 1838, to John Wanamaker, who invented one of the first, if not the first, true department store, the first white sale, the first modern price tags, and the first in-store restaurant. He also pioneered the use of money-back guarantees and newspaper ads to advertise his retail goods. Happy birthday on July 17, 1920, to Gordon Gould, who was an American physicist made famous for inventing the laser. Thank you to www.thoughtco.com for the July events. All right, here's a brief bio of our guest, Ron Wanamaker. He is definitely a Renaissance man. He's been with the Preservation Burlington organization for over 15 years, serving as its president multiple times. Ron just gets preservation. He's the owner-operator of a local business, founded in 1988 and called Wanamaker Restoration. The business specializes in preserving, conserving, rendering historically accurate reconstructions, and restoring historic structures, furnishings, and art objects. Ron is also a lead carpenter, historic building technician, exhibit builder at Shelburne Museum, based in Shelburne, Vermont. All right, let's welcome Ron to the program. All right, welcome to the program, Ron. Thanks, Sean. It's a pleasure to be here. Burlington is sure beautiful. I was looking at it on my map app, and you're not too far from Canada, actually. I guess I didn't realize how close you were. I noticed also that there's a poutine, is that how you say it? Poutine restaurant in yeah. town. <laughs> I think they say poutine, poutine. <laughs> so, okay. I don't know. You have to have a little bit of a French accent poutine. since we're so close to Montreal. It's very unique. And, and for those of you who don't know, poutine is something that they serve in Canada or maybe just the French portion of Canada. I don't know. But it's mm. uh, French fries with gravy and cheese curds. Really delicious. <laughs> yeah, really delicious. I've never seen that in any of the towns that I've visited so far. Yeah, I never even heard of it until I moved to Vermont. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of French-Canadian influence up here. And like you said, we're about an hour from the border of Quebec. Yeah. So yeah, I heard about it. And, and now I'm, I'm kind of a regular. I shouldn't eat it as often as I do, but it's delicious. <laughs> it's delicious, yeah. I'm not sure you'd agree with me because you live there and there's a lot of things to do and a lot of beauty. But for me, one of the most wonderful aspects of Burlington, apart from the history and the beauty of the town, is Lake Champlain. Does Burlington population grow in the summer months due to tourism or in winter for skiing? Well, it's funny you say that. I was just having this conversation last week with some folks. You know, the tourist industry in Vermont is, I think, over a billion dollars a year. And Burlington, in particular, because of the colleges. So we have summer tourism because the lake is beautiful and so much going on in town. The colleges are constantly, we have an influx of students and their parents pretty much year round, especially from the fall all the way through the winter. 
And then, of course, Burlington's close to most of the ski hills in Vermont. So, you know, in 15 to 35 minutes in any direction, you can go to a different ski mount. Wow, very cool. So in the summer, is that when all the parents come to see, you know, bring their kids to college kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. They're dropping them off or picking them up. And you you see a whole bunch of humans walking around with older humans that look like them. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a great town. Do you own a boat to go out on Lake Champlain? It's funny. We did, About six years ago, a friend of mine was selling his sailboat, and it just so happened another friend was interested in finding a boat. So he and I chipped in and bought the boat from my other friend. And it's an older sailboat. It's a 1978 Seidelman, yeah. which is a German boat. It's a 24-foot sailboat, a little oh. bit beamy but it, it handles really well. And, you know, they built them really well then. It's a fiberglass boat. My friend's a woodworker, and, and I asked him why he had a fiberglass boat, and he told me because he likes sailing. <laughs> okay. Well, instead of just working on a wooden boat. <laughs> uh, now, yeah. when I was looking at your organization, I found on the local CCTV station a program that you do personally, and it's called Live at 525. I've watched a few episodes, and man, you do a great job on that. Can you give listeners more information about that so they can tune in? CCTV is our local community access television, one of two networks, stations, and they provide a Live at 525 every day for different not-for-profit organizations. Preservation Burlington's is the fourth Thursday of every month we get to host the show. I'm generally the host, and sometimes I drag in other board members to help me out. And it's fun to do. Like you said, we get a bunch of different topics. You know, my friends that are contractors in the historic trades, I, I get them on to talk about what they do. And other people that have written a book about local history or something, I always get those folks to come on the show and talk about it. And we use it to promote our, our walking tours and the homes tour and that sort of thing. It's on, like I said, every Thursday at 525 on Channel 17, and they've also expanded to YouTube channel now, and that'd be CCTV Channel 17. Yeah, very cool. I hope everybody out there will catch some of those episodes. They're pretty good, actually. Ron, you do a great job extemporaneously. <laughs> I appreciate you saying that, Sean, because, you know, I'm always nervous, and when I first started doing it, I took over from somebody else, and I used to spend a lot of time coming up with questions and trying to figure everything out. And after a while, not that I, I didn't relax, but I just didn't give myself enough time to prepare and decided that it was just going to be a conversation. So I have people on and it, we just sort of see where it goes and yeah. try to keep the, the pace. You know, you're an expert at it. So for you to tell me that I'm, uh, I'm doing an OK job really feels good. Oh, thank you for that. There's also lots of Ethan Allen history in the area. What can you tell us about that? Oh, um, yeah, Ethan Allen. It's really he's quite the colorful character you know when i moved up here the only ethan allen stuff i really knew about was the furniture <laughs> um which really doesn't have very much to do with ethan allen uh he he had a homestead and a farm here the allen him and his brothers moved here from connecticut and at the time new hampshire and new york state were fighting over who owned vermont or the land that is vermont and Ethan Allen had started chasing out the Yorkers, as they call them, and they staked claim to, to all of Vermont. And yeah, he's allegedly buried here in Greenmount Cemetery. No one knows where he really is, but there's a big monument to him in that cemetery. And I think the 
July 4th this year, we're going to have a big programming. The neighborhood the cemetery is in is going to have a, a little 4th of July event and Preservation Burlington is going to lead some cemetery tours and, and talk about all the other interesting people that are buried here. His brother, Ira Allen, was essentially founded Winooski, Vermont, which is right next door to Burlington. But after a, a few business failures later in his life, he kind of went to Philadelphia. And then I think he ended up in New Jersey. He may be buried in Philadelphia now. He sort of ran out of money, ran out of town and, and went to, uh, to Pennsylvania. Back then, it was a wild time, that's for sure. It was like the wild, wild west, you know, and this, this was the frontier in, uh, in those days. Yeah, that's true. I saw that monument in the graveyard, and I read that it was completed in 1873. Now, that thing is 42 feet tall. It's really cool. It is. Did you notice the fence around it? Yes. That's even cooler. <laughs> Made of muskets, right? <laughs> yeah. That is way cool. I don't know who maintains that, I should say, but they're doing a great job. Yeah, they are. We have a cemetery commission in town, and, and they have their hands full. We have three city cemeteries, which is a lot of ground to cover. Lakeview Cemetery, as the name implies, is gorgeous. It sits on a buff up against the lake, so you have beautiful views everywhere. And it was more of that Victorian-era graveyard yeah. cemetery where it was like very park-like with fountains and walking paths. A lot to take care of. Yeah, very cool. Now, I noticed as I went through the town on my map app that there's all kinds of historic buildings and businesses, and it seems like a real nice, quiet town. Does Preservation Burlington have a file containing the history of all the buildings in Burlington? We're slowly getting there, I think. You know, Preservation Burlington's been around for 25 years this year, and every year we do more than a handful. We probably do 15, anywhere from 10 to 20 historic home markers, primarily residential, but we've accumulated all these histories. And we do have one of our members is our archivist librarian. So right now, since we don't have a physical space, he keeps all those files electronically and physically in his house. So we really need a place to, to share that with the public. Yeah. In addition to the residential stuff, we do a, a lot of research for bronze markers and some of the historic markers that the state sponsors for more commercial or institutional buildings here in town. So what is the history of Preservation Burlington organization? So 25 years ago, Preservation Burlington came into existence um, with a combination of two different groups in town. You know, there was a, a bunch of people who were concerned about the architecture and the pressure on the architecture for development and also student housing was really a lot of the houses were getting dilapidated and taken and neighborhoods were being impacted. And then the, another group was more concerned about the still the impact on the neighborhood, but noise issues, a bunch of students living in one house, and that impact on the older residents who had grown up in those neighborhoods. They couldn't really afford to move, and now they, they had students partying on their block all night. So these two different groups sort of met going to city council meetings and decided to sit down and create Preservation Burlington. Hence, our mission is to protect the architecture and livability of Burlington. Ah, uh, yeah. Ron, as you mentioned, Preservation Burlington is celebrating their 25th anniversary this year. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, it's, it's really been uh, an interesting 25 years. I've been on the board about, I'm going to say, 15 or so. 
So the, the organization started when I moved to Vermont, as a matter of fact, but yeah, maybe three or five years in is when I was invited to a couple of meetings and they asked me to speak at a couple of events as a preservationist. And that's when I really got introduced to what the group does. And I've just been involved with them ever since, mostly like you mentioned earlier, hosting the TV show, helping out with walking tours. I don't do very well leading the walking tours because my retention on history is not that great, but it's always fun events. And I just, you know, and like, as you know, I'm president now, and we try to shift up the offices every year. And we, with COVID, we haven't really had regular meetings. You know, we've had regular meetings, but with Zoom, we've just sort of fallen behind. So yeah. I've been the president now for about two years, waiting for somebody else to take the reins. Well, for the 25th anniversary, what kinds of special events or programs do you have planned? Oh, a lot. This year, we're really kickstarting a bunch of, we're doing a cemetery tour, like I mentioned, on July 4th. We're doing an architectural history tour on the 15th of July. Some of the neighborhoods in town, they have their own like little groups and their, their, their pride events and stuff. So we usually set up a table there and offer walking tours. Aaron Goldberg is someone involved with the Lost Shul Mural. So we're offering a couple of different tours there. We just really like doubled down on our events and are trying to be somewhere every weekend doing something and getting out there for folks. And as you know, this past weekend was first homes tour that we normally have one every year. And because of COVID, we've missed three years. And this year was, uh, I think we broke all records. People were really excited to have us back and to, right. to walk around and see what their neighbors have done with their historic homes. It's a lot of fun. I'm glad that went well. That's great. So your name of your organization is Preservation Burlington. Why does Burlington need to be preserved? Well, I think that there's been a lot of pressure on the town, like in so many places around the country, how to develop housing. The colleges, there's a lot of negative pressure on neighborhoods and the architecture in town, just because out-of-town, out-of-state landlords packing some of the old houses with students. So Preservation Burlington sort of grew out of the need to protect neighborhoods from student parties and that sort of thing, you know, town versus gown. And then we also have a contingency of people in town. Ironically, a lot of them from UVM, they, they, they graduate the historic preservation program, the graduate program at UVM, yeah. and they stick around. So we have a lot of people that are really concerned with the architecture in, in Burlington. So Preservation Burlington was the, the grouping of those two concerns 25 years ago. And we've, we've been around ever since trying to advocate for at-risk buildings and properties and come up with interesting ways to tell the story of, of Burlington and just make people aware of what we have here so that it doesn't go away or doesn't get disregarded. Now, from everything I read on the interwebs, you guys are doing a great job. I also noticed that there's no Burlington history or genealogical society in the area that I could find. Is Preservation Burlington the de facto historical society in the area or, or is the local library? The local library, that's really good. The local library is really good. UVM, the University of Vermont Special Collections, does a terrific job. They're really the default history museum or history gatherer of Burlington, per se. We also have Chittenden Historic Society, and they do a really wonderful job. And, and we team up with them a lot. So we'll put events together. And they include, because we're in Chittenden County, they include Burlington as part of their collections. So we're lucky here between Champlain College, the University of Vermont, and the Chittenden Historic Society. 
they do all the physical gathering of artifacts and history and stuff like that. And Preservation Burlington focuses more on oral histories and walking tours of neighborhoods and, and that sort of thing. Now, something unique about your organization, I noticed that you don't have memberships. Did it ever have memberships? We did for a long time. I guess pre-COVID, a few years before COVID, we switched from a membership organization to just an open organization where we accept donations. And there's a 501c3 organization, and we changed our bylaws so that basically everybody's a member. You know, anybody who has interest or who wants to make a donation can, and everybody's welcome to our events. We don't do anything specific or special for a, a select group of people. Now, does Preservation Burlington own or manage any properties in the area? We don't. It's been tossed around a lot. We've talked about it. It would require a specific fundraising event or, or effort. And right now, I guess on two levels, you know, property values in Burlington, because like we mentioned earlier about tourism and how beautiful it is here, property values are really, really high yeah. right now. So it would be difficult for our organization to purchase a property. So really, we don't own anything, but we do have our meetings um, at different locations uh, all around town. I'm a contractor and I, I have a shop and a showroom. So we used to have a, we've often had the meetings there just out of convenience sake. Um, and then also the colleges provide us with space. I know there's a lot of wonderful, beautiful old homes and buildings in Burlington when people go to fix those up or maintain them or improve them, does Preservation Burlington consult on those projects? We do when, when asked, of course. A lot of times the city will, will ask us for opinions or histories of a building or can we do, they, they, we've been asked to do research to see what a building looked like in the past. Uh, it often means going to special collections up at UVM or down in Montpelier and looking for photographs of neighborhoods and that sort of thing. And we've been, members of the board have been expert witnesses on cases sometimes in front of the environmental court here in Vermont. So, yeah, we, we're lucky to have an activist board with a, a broad knowledge and experience with historic preservation. So, yeah, the homeowners, the city, and sometimes the state have relied on us for that. Now, you mentioned it before, Preservation Burlington provides markers and histories of the homes to the area residents upon request. How does that work, and what's the cost for that? The cost for a marker for your home is $125, and that covers the marker itself and the house history. Often people either won't know, or they'll have some information on the house, but they want a, they want a deeper dive. And Marge Allard is our one of our longest-running board members. I think she's been on the board continuously for the 25 years. And she's just an endless supply of energy, and she does all of our house histories almost single-handedly, and it's very, very thorough. So she spends a lot of time documenting, you know, from the time the property was first sold to the time the house was built on it, and all the subsequent owners. So the owners get a real thorough history of their house for the $125, plus the, the green marker, they call it. Everybody around town wants a green marker for their house. Oh, cool. Very cool. Thanks for that. Now, beyond the home markers, what other historical markers has Preservation Burlington placed around town? That's a good question. Um, thanks for following up with that, Sean, because I, I was thinking, and then I forgot to mention it, but 
every year we do uh, we have an annual meeting, which is basically we find a speaker on some topic of interest to the community, and we get a venue somewhere, and we invite everybody to come. It's catered. And at that meeting, we also do what we call our annual awards. And there's several, it's changed periodically, but there's several categories in our, in our awards. We do a residential award, commercial award, commercial slash institutional. That'll often go to one of the colleges or we try to encourage good work. And then we do an outbuildings award, which is new. There's a spirit of preservation. Because for a long time, we gave awards to projects, right? And, and it had to be done within a certain amount of years. At first, it was like a year or two. Or, and then we just kept expanding it. Because some people buy a historic home, and it takes them a long time to get that home to a place where they want it to be. So now that's the Spirit of Preservation Award is for people who just have an old home and have taken really great care of it for their entire ownership and, and the house is in, in neat condition. So we, we acknowledge that. and anyway. Back to the awards. So everybody that gets an award gets a smaller version of our green marker, and it's brass, and it's really pretty. And sometimes you'll see a house with a green marker, and then they've got an award from us that following year or whenever, and then the two markers will be next to each other. So it's it's fun to drive around town and see where people hang them, and you can you'll just see the little brass marker and go, oh, that person's been you know recognized and thanked for their for preservation work on their home. So if I'm a resident in the area and I, I understand these four or five categories of awards and I want to submit someone as a candidate for receiving one of the awards, what do I do? Yeah, we, well, first and foremost, probably go to our website and or maybe our Facebook page. I think that's the most of our, our social media presence. But folks, you know, we have our demographic skews a little bit on the older side and often we'll get a letter. <laughs> My cell phone number is out there. People will call us or Gwen Langdon is a friend and past president and she'll get phone calls. So any old way, but mostly the simplest way is to go to our website and then info at preservationburlington.org. And you can just name people. Your neighbor might be doing a great project or you notice some commercial building that's looking great. And that's how we do it. We put a call out, of course. Usually, almost right after the annual awards, we start pressing people to give us some ideas and let us know. And we also go to the city, too, because some of the folks in the zoning office will know that nice projects have come through getting building permits. So they'll let us know about those, and and we get to follow up and and see if the people are interested in an award, if they'd like to get an award, and, you know. Yep, understood. That's a lot of great work on your behalf. Do you do any work outside of Burlington in Chittenden County? We don't. Like I mentioned earlier, the Chittenden County Historic Society exists, and they're really good at fielding that sort of stuff. There is a Burlington, North Carolina, and we often get inquiries from people in North Carolina if they could get a house marker from us, you know? (laughs) Yes, you can, but you have to move to Vermont. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Now, you mentioned earlier that you're a contractor, you have a restoration business, uh, you work full time. In addition, you serve on committees, you serve on the board, you help with events. Really, I want to know, what's your formula for managing your time so that you can get all that done on a regular basis? Well, first of all, I'm exhausted hearing you list all those things, and I don't know how I, sometimes I don't know how I do it, you know, I do it's funny i i'm very like everyone you know i have electronic calendars and emails and things like that that pop up and i try to utilize those 
but I have an analog paper calendar that I've had my entire adult life. It's the same format. And I just, I use that to list the things I have to do for the month on one page and then small blocks where I can fill in things like this interview. And then remember when I open my calendar every day and look, I get a, a reminder. Oh, you got to do that. You oh, know? Cool. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's tricky. You know, and I, I, I drop the ball occasionally, you know, I had a meeting Tuesday and I forgot to email in. It was the design advisory board in town. And I'm, I'm chair on that committee. And I, I just forgot about it. I was in, in Rhode Island at a conference on historic trades. And the next thing I know, I'm like, oh, wait, it's, it's Tuesday. Rats, you know. So I'll be mea culpa and apologizing for that a week from now. Yeah. How did that conference go? It was great. Preservation Maryland has worked with the National Park Service to come up with a curriculum for encouraging and teaching the historic trades. And they've reached out to groups and people all over the country to fill out a survey and just get a feel for what's needed out there. And they've done a lot of work. And this was the first, this was the initial meeting physically in Providence, Rhode Island at a really nice fancy hotel with a conference room and breakfast and lunch. And for three days, we got to meet and greet and talk and I got to steal a lot of really good ideas that I'm hoping to bring back to Vermont with me and, and see if we can't encourage sort of a North Bennett Street. That's a famous traditional trade school in Boston. Okay. We'd like to do a version of that up here in Vermont. And the trick with a lot of those places is they can be really expensive, you know, so not every, it's not accessible to everyone. So the focus on this, this summit, as they called it, was to expand the outreach and make it available to as many people as possible, you know, from high school students all the way up through 40-year-olds. You know, the couple of organizations in Chicago, they, their cutoff is 40 years old because they said a lot of, truthfully, a lot of the work is labor-intensive, mm-hmm. and they're trying to reach people that want to either change their career or get into an interesting career. Right now, my focus is youth because I know that there's two or three different groups. There's Job Corps and there's Youth Build or two not-for-profits that are helping kids that are struggling with school. So they take them and they, they teach them some trades or some other alternative than just going to school and then heading up to college, you know, with the debt incurred with college and that sort of thing. So these groups exist, but their their focus isn't really on what I feel the need is around here. The age of our housing stock there was an interesting statistic at the at the summit that 75% of the buildings in the United States of America are over 75 years old. So it's not a real niche market, you know, understanding how old buildings were constructed and then having the skill set to work on them without doing damage is really important and we don't have we don't have that talent pool right now. I think there's like less than 5% of construction professionals or specialize in historic structures. So we would like to turn those numbers around a little bit. You know, as, as all of our buildings age, we'd like to increase the number of people specifically with the skill set to work on historic buildings, from masonry to copper roofs, slate roofs, plaster repair, everything. Window restoration is always a big topic, you know. I wonder how they do this in Europe, because they have buildings that are centuries old. Yeah, they do. I know there's guild systems in Europe still to this day. Yeah. And people specifically go into, say, carpentry in the Netherlands. And when they graduate, they have to travel around with a bag 
and work for food and lodging. <laughs> so they find old buildings that need some work and then they offer to do some carpentry on it or do whatever their skill set is. And there's a, there's a term for that. And I can't remember it right now, but it's part of their guild system. It's pretty interesting. Huh. It would be fun if there was something like that here. Of course, oh, America's yeah. pretty big. <laughs> That's why it'd be interesting to take a look at how they do it there. Just what is the system to get the young people, you know, engaged and involved, all of that stuff. Maybe we could port some of that over here. Yeah, they, they, that would be great. And I think, you know, so there's, there's trainings, there's pre-apprentice programs, they call them, and then there's apprentice programs and internships. And Preservation Maryland has sort of, their curriculum runs the gamut from one through, through the end. You know, and an apprenticeship is something that the Department of Labor acknowledges. Preservation Maryland, I can't compliment them enough on the work they've done. They've lobbied, being that they're so close to Washington, to include, they've lobbied the Department of Labor to include historic masonry as an apprenticeship program. Okay. So, yeah, it, it, that way they qualify for grant monies, they qualify for tax breaks and that sort of thing, businesses that hire apprentices. So there's, they're trying to make it so that it's really in a business's benefit to hire people and teach them. Yeah, very cool. Now, we've talked about Preservation Burlington for a little while. I'd like to provide listeners with the contact information for Preservation Burlington. Their website is preservationburlington.org. You can email them, as Ron mentioned, at info at preservationburlington.org. Their address is P.O. Box 481, Burlington, Vermont, 05402. And be sure to catch them on the local CCTV channel, Facebook, Instagram. That CCTV channel is channel 17. They have the program on the fourth Thursday of each month. It's called Live at 525. And I hope to see you there. Ron, was all that correct? That was. That was great, Sean. Thank you so much for getting that out there. And I, I forgot we had an Instagram account. You know, some of the younger board members are a little better at that sort of thing. So they track that. We have a communications subcommittee that handles all of that for us. Fantastic. Ron, it's time to take a break for a few minutes. Great. I'm going to fill up my water bottle. All right. Listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages.
The Star-Spangled Banner by Francis Scott Key 1814 Written during the War of 1812 on the morning after the battle at Fort McHenry, Francis Scott Key saw the battered American flag flying high after a long night of bombardment by the British Navy. Originally published as The Defense of Fort McHenry, his brother-in-law set it to music, and the poem became our national anthem. While we often only sing the first verse, the second and third verses are especially moving, and I'd like you to hear them. Oh say, can you see, by the dawn's early light, what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. O'er the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? On the shore, dimly seen through the mists of the deep, where the foe's haughty host in dread silence reposes, what is that which the breeze o'er the towering steep, as it fitfully blows, half conceals, half discloses? Now it catches the gleam of the morning's first beam, in full glory reflected now shines on the stream. Tis the star-spangled banner. O oh, long may it wave. O'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Oh, thus be it ever, when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must, when our cause it is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. Thank you for listening. To everyone who listens to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio from the United States, we wish you all a very happy American Independence Day. Please volunteer and partner with Preservation Burlington and support their efforts to preserve and protect the historic architecture and livability of Burlington through education and advocacy. Take part in the annual Homes Tour, and you can get a marker and the thorough and interesting history of your home. Partner with them to help advocate for the preservation and not demolition of several properties they're interested in saving on behalf of the community. Visit preservationburlington.org and learn more about this valuable local nonprofit organization. Donate, volunteer, and support them today at preservationburlington.org.
Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe. We're here today with Mr. Ron Wanamaker, the president of Preservation Burlington in the great state of Vermont. Ron, let's pick up where we left off. Welcome back. Thanks, Sean. It's good to be back. I really am appreciating the conversation. Ron, can you provide the audience with the mission and objectives of your organization? Preservation Burlington's mission is to protect the livability and architecture in Burlington through education and advocacy. <laughs> That's the, the short version of, of what we do. Oh, very cool. Now, are there any local laws or governmental policies that cause an evaluation of reuse to be completed before a property is remodeled or demolished? There is more demolished than remodeled. The Secretary of Interior's standards and guidelines are adopted by Burlington's ordinance. But that all pertains to the exterior of buildings. And just like the guidelines lay out, the primary facade or the two primary facades, if it's a corner lot, are very important to the community. So changes to that house need to go through the Burlington zoning process, of which there's a design advisory board, which is like step one. I'm on that board and we encourage people. We understand the ordinance and we let people that come for a permit know what will or won't pass in the final zoning application. So it adds two weeks to the process, but they come in and we get to point them in the right direction, tell them if, if they're going to run into an issue, give them an opportunity to change that. And it's non-binding, so they can still go through the process without taking our advice if they want to, but they're less likely to get their permit. And that's for external things. Demolition is a whole nother can of worms in a sense. Our ordinance has rules against demolition by neglect. People that are just don't want to take care of their buildings and are just waiting for it to fall down so they can build something else there because it's historic and it won't get a permit perhaps for demolition. They can get demolition permits for historic buildings, but then there's requirements for documenting those buildings before they knock them down. Yeah. Of course, the building has to be fairly compromised and not due to neglect. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad you guys are involved in that. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your background, how you came to do what you do now? Sure. It's uh, it's funny. Like I mentioned earlier, I've been at this conference, so it's, some of this stuff is fresh in my head because these are questions, you know, when you meet new people and they're preservationists, you know, we all ask each other the same questions. I sort of, especially because we we're talking about working in, in historic trades. I was in college, like so many kids, and community college, I was into my second year, and on a break, I was just walking along the sidewalk in Warwick, New York, and there's this older guy, older gentleman, working by himself, um, lifting up these slate sidewalks and resetting them, making them level. Uh, his name was Bob Thomas, and he was a stonemason, and he asked me, do I know how to run a machine? meaning a backhoe bucket loader. Okay. And I said, no. And he said, do you want to learn? And I said, sure. You know, I had a week's vacation. <laughs> cool. So I spent the week. He taught me how to operate machinery. I started seeing what he did. And I worked part-time for him while I was in college for the rest of the semester. And I kind of on a break just decided that I was going to take a break from school and spend the summer working with Bob Thomas Stonemason, learning what he did. And I sort of never looked back, Sean. You know, I, I, I didn't end up going back to school. I worked with him, started working with another friend of mine doing painting and plaster repair in New York City. And just working on those old row houses led me to do a lot of research. 
And I just got drawn into old buildings and, and the history of them and the history of construction trades. Uh, sort of never looked back. It was an accident, really. <laughs> wow. And so how did you become now the president of the Preservation Burlington organization? Uh, you mentioned earlier, we try to change up officers every, every year or so. We were really good about it 15 years ago, but we're a small activist board. So ones of us that are good at certain things, kind of like our treasurer has been the treasurer straight through now for about eight years. He does a great job. That's Jack Mentez, and he's my father-in-law. I became president by default this time around. I've passed president, so I've had my turn before. Our current president, the one who was president just before me, was Gwen Langdon. And she got a really terrific job opportunity in uh, Philadelphia. So she moved out of Burlington and couldn't be the president long term. The secretary became president, Karen Norwood. She's great, but she, it was a lot of work. you know. So we shared the responsibilities for a little while. And now I'm president, at least until next year at our next annual meeting, when you know, like hot potato, we try to toss it to somebody else on the board. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you're doing a great job. By the way, happy birthday. June 10th was your birthday. So happy birthday, Ron. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. I appreciate that. I had a heck of a party since it was also the day of the home store. <laughs> 600 people and a lot of them knew it was my birthday somehow. That is great. Wonderful. Now, I want to mention your business. I ran across this on the web. You have a business called Wanamaker Restoration. and I would imagine you're either maintaining or restoring some of those historic homes in the area or buildings. If somebody wants to restore or maintain a home or a building, how do they connect with you? That's a really good question. Well, right now, I mean, we, a lot of what we do is by, by reputation and word of mouth. Uh, I get a lot of inquiries through email. We have a website. I know that every once in a while, just out of curiosity, I check our standing. If you type in Vermont and restoration, we're usually the third, second or third thing that comes up. Okay. So people find us that way. Aside from my cell phone, we don't have a physical phone line anymore because it was like so many phone lines around the country. It's just inundated with spam phone calls. Yep. So Primarily now, it's all through our website and or our email address and word of mouth. That's how people find us. I can only imagine the types of homes and the types of buildings that you've worked on restoring or maintaining. You probably have a wide breadth of experience in doing that. What's one of your favorite properties? Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a great question, Sean. Also, you're really, you're really good at this, by the way. Um, I guess I've been really, really fortunate. Like I mentioned, I, I started the trade sort of from the ground up, working with a stonemason, working on foundations and, and mixing mortar, taught myself plaster work, restoration and making molds and casting things. Woodwork came sort of naturally along with that. And then our shop that we maintain in Burlington on Flynn Avenue primarily works on Historic windows, hardware restoration, door restoration, and shutters, that sort of thing. Okay. We get to do a lot of curved work. I jokingly tell everybody that we do what nobody else wants to do <laughs> or, or remembers how to do. Yeah. Buildings, we've worked on a lot of that. We restored all the stairways in the state capitol 
state buildings, office buildings. They're all Queen Anne Victorians. And we did a lot of the woodwork restoration on all the stairways in interior there. That was a fun project. We restored stained glass window surrounds. We don't do stained glass ourselves. Craftsman in Burlington, Larry Rebecca does stained glass work for churches and institutions. And we'll do a lot of the woodwork with him. And we did the St. Thomas's Church in Underhill Center, Underhill, Vermont. That was a beautiful one. I, oh, Rokeby Museum was a big favorite of mine. I always forget about that. And that was, you know, ironically, that was new construction. They, they have a historic building that we help them with now and again, but they built an interpretive center. And the person that was supposed to do the interior work, uh, setting up the display that told the whole story of Rokeby, it's a museum centered on the Underground Railway and okay. slave traffic. So that was funny. We, so that project came to us when the, the other person who got the bid couldn't do it. So our team went in and we recreated the house inside the building. We painted backdrops for different aspects of the story to be told, built a picket fence out of ash. It was just a really fun project going in there. So That's Rokeby Museum in Ferrisburg. Okay. So if people want to see some of your work, they can go there. Now, I also was reading that you're also an exhibit builder at the Shelburne Museum. Yes, I, I am. I do project manager lead carpenter at Shelburne Museum in Shelburne, Vermont, which is right next to Burlington. Yeah, and it's funny. I, I jokingly, I've been at this for about eight years with them now, in addition to my other work. And when I first moved to Vermont in 1998, just to get my feet wet and learn some things and meet some people, I volunteered at Shelburne Museum for a year or two. And then I got too busy to continue volunteering, but I stayed friends with Nancy Ravenel, the conservator, now the, the director of collections at the museum. And I told everybody I spent the next 15 years working at every other museum in Vermont before Shelburne Museum would hire me. Which <laughs> It's just half a joke, you know, I didn't really do it on purpose, but it was really, it's been great, like landing here at Shelburne Museum. They have 38 historic buildings, a collection of 150,000 objects and art. And as you mentioned, they have gallery furniture. They have two galleries that turn over two or three times a year with different collections in them. We've done photographs. Right now we're doing an indigenous, it's called Built from the Earth, and it's an indigenous people's pottery show. So people will get to go in there. We made all the curved furniture for to set the pots on and, and set that show up. That'll be opening on June 24th, I believe. That's very cool. Uh, it, it's really fun and interesting. So getting back to Preservation Burlington for a moment, what's coming up on the horizon in 2023, 2024? Where's it headed next? Well, we're breathing easy. We usually we don't have our monthly meeting after the home store because it takes so much work setting that up that we all have a party after the home store and then we take the month off, you know. But that being said, I mentioned earlier our walking tours. So we have the cemetery tour. Uh, that's Elmwood, I think. Architectural tour. The old north end of Burlington does what they call a ramble, and it's a community-wide event where there's artists and there's all kinds of food trucks and all kinds of stuff. And we set up there and we give walking tours of the old north end. We're doing a tour and a speaking event with the Lost Shul mural involving Aaron Goldberg and his synagogue. A waterfront tour we're doing. Art Hop is something Burlington does every year. The south end of Burlington is a 
an arts district and the South End SEBA, South End Arts and Business Association, okay. runs the Art Hop every September. And we run several walking tours of that downtown industrial area. It was like most, so many cities, it's an industrial area in town where industry left. And it's slowly becoming artists, of course, filled in the, the void. And it's just a super creative part of town. And that's on Pine Street in Burlington. And then, of course, that'll, that's going to bring us through September into October, where we do a bunch of different Halloween event tours. We don't do anything like ghost tours. There's somebody else that actually does that in Burlington, but we'll give cemetery tours, and often we'll do them as interpretive tours. So the board is forced to dress up like somebody that's dead in the, in the <laughs> cemetery, and people walk through, and then the people tell their story. You know, the dressed-up board members tell the story of that person as if they were that person. That's always yeah, fun. That's cool. And then we cap it all off in November with our annual meeting. And hopefully I'll be able to pass the baton to somebody else to be president. <laughs> what a wonderful, fun-filled, historic town. That really sounds great. Does Preservation Burlington play any kind of a role in relation to the properties listed on the National Register of Historic Places? We don't. By and large, we don't. The National Register properties, if they're listed, they're protected at the state and local level through the ordinance. So really, unless we're invited by the homeowner or if there's some kind of question of, about the property that we can help out with, someone would reach out to us. And we don't have a regular interaction with National Register properties per se, right. um, unless the owner or somebody needs some help with something and they reach out to us. We're not part of the process. Uh, thanks for that. Well, the work you're doing is great, Ron. The work you and your team are doing, I should say, is great. It is a team effort. You know, we have, a, like I mentioned, a real activist board. Everybody on the board has some kind of specialty, and they all bring their talents to play. Uh, and we have a great time. You know, I, we try to find a fun place to have our board meetings, you know, and it's relaxed atmosphere. Sometimes we'll have, we'll, somebody will bring some beer or a bottle of wine, and we can, we can just, like, brainstorm and throw ideas around. and. You know, a lot of good-natured ribbing, but everybody brings a lot of talent to the board, and they all put in a huge effort. It's great. Fantastic. So what kind of projects is Preservation Burlington working on currently? Uh, as I mentioned, we're breathing. We're taking a breather from the uh, Homes Tour. Um, that committee will, believe it or not, start up again uh, probably in July or August. We'll start knocking on doors and trying to find next year's Homes Tour people. It takes practically a year. And I know Matt Mienz is one of our long-term board members, and he's the head of that committee. He'll be doing that pretty soon. And almost, it's a Herculean effort to find enough homes and people and volunteers to work at. So that, that's one of the big things that we work on every year. It's our largest fundraiser, if I didn't mention that earlier. So that helps, that helps pay the bills on everything else we do, you know, walking tours, speaking engagements, uh, all kinds of things like that. We're working right now, I, I should not fail to mention, our advocacy efforts. And right now, we are not happy to say we're in court over the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, okay. which got a demolition permit. It's a beautiful, amazing building. It's modern architecture by a famous Edward Larrabee Barnes, who was the architect, and Dan Kiley, who's a Vermonter, was the landscape architect. Okay. They're both renowned in modern architecture circles. I was at some preservation conference down in West Palm Beach, Florida, of all places, for traditional building. And Dan Kiley was the designer of the Fountain Center in West Palm Beach. 
I just, I saw that plaque and I mentioned it and everybody down there, the rural architects knew of him. And we've gotten a groundswell of support from around the country to try and save this building. We won't know for sure how it's going to go on for a few months still, but we're hoping that it gets saved. And maybe it can be that place where, like you mentioned, Preservation Burlington can finally set up a place for a Burlington History Museum and event space or something. That Well, when was the building built? Is it way old? That's why they want to demolish it? You know, honestly, I'm, we, we are in the discovery process, so I'm not sure why they want to demolish it. They have offers, full price offers of people that don't want to demolish it. They won't let us know who the, the current buyer is going to be. So we don't know. The building itself is not quite 50 years old yet. It's like 48 years old or something. So they their claim it's not historic, even though it's it's renowned. And they claim they don't want sordid use of the property. But we've given them reams of information and examples of other historic or, or other church properties all over Vermont that have been saved and turned into community event spaces or some other. They continue to serve the community after they've been deconsecrated and they're no longer serving just, say, the Catholic community or, or, or Episcopalian community. So there's plenty of examples of that successfully, yeah. and we're hoping that we can convince them. 48 years old is not old for a building. It's not. It's in great shape. And like I said, it's really distinctive that people wanted to go and Google Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception. It'll pop up and you'll see that it's just really interesting. It, because it was a church, it lends itself perfectly to a music venue. Okay. There's a, a community group that wants to turn it into a music venue and purchase it. I hope they start to listen and they think they know that we're not going to turn it into some kind of shady example of some, of some use, you know, that's going to embarrass the, the church. We, we would not do that. How can people get involved? Oh, for sure. The first way to get involved would be go to our, our preservationburlington.org website and take a look at the stuff we've written up about it there. And there's a GoFundMe page, like a button, you know, that people can click on and they can donate. That's right now we're in the second phase of, of raising money and Preservation Burlington is matching all the donations and that way community is helping us we're helping the community we're chipping in and we're trying to win this court case so that's the biggest way people can get involved right now and also if they wanted to just if they have any thoughts or feelings you know modern architecture and appreciation for that we, we're collecting comments and we're making those comments available to city government to the church if they're interested in hearing about it we just want them to know how much support there is for this building and, and what possible uses it could be Besides Preservation Burlington, isn't there another website that they can go to as well? Oh, there is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. One of our board members who's really uh, his specialty, he's a historic preservationist. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure he wants to stay in the background. But anyway, he set up uh, www.divinepine20.com. Again, that's www. I don't know if people still need to say that part. <laughs> Divine Pine. 20.com. Okay. And that'll bring you right to a website where they can uh, also donate, I believe, and they'll get the history of the building and they'll get a lot more information. Okay. Now, what else is Preservation Burlington involved in right now? As you know, and so many people know, every city around the nation suffered through urban renewal projects, you know, where governments decided what was best for people and just bulldozed homes and destroyed neighborhoods. And that happened in Burlington, like everywhere else. 
And for years, there was a one-level shopping mall just built off of Church Street, which was our main commercial thoroughfare. And uh, it was just poorly, poorly thought out and planned. But that was the rage all back then. And then about five years ago, I want to say four or five years ago, it was going to be redeveloped. And there was a developer from out of state, I believe Canada, if I'm correct. But he came in with big ideas to knock the shopping mall down and build a tower of commercial on the street level spaces and apartments, office, mixed use. It sounded wonderful. He got his demolition permits and he bulldozed it and then, for, and then ran out of money and just sort of abandoned the project. Oh. And for five, five years, it's now called The Pit. Oh, wow. But we had some local construction firms team up and get some funding and, and do some creative work with the city. And they seem, they've kick-started building. And if they can pull it off, if anybody can, it's good to have local people doing it. And it will finally uh, fill in that pit with housing and reconnecting roads. And that's not really Preservation Burlington, but it's one of those projects that we advocate for and that we've followed to see if something's going to happen. Good news, the Lost Shoal Mural, we've donated to that, helped with uh, history information about it. And that was a Shoal Mural is the mural that's up on the ceiling of so many synagogues. And Burlington had a a neighborhood that was uh, Little Jerusalem back in the 1800s and the turn of the century. And there were three, three different synagogues. One of them had become like a, a store uh, and then apartments. And basically, people had forgotten that it was ever a synagogue. But up in the one of the apartments in the attic, there was this painted mural on this arched plaster wall. Hmm. And once it was discovered, one of the other synagogues did a huge monumental fundraising campaign and history and awareness found out who the, the, the artist was, and they literally took the roof off of this building after securing the, the mural and lifted it out of this building, drove it two blocks, and put it inside of the new, the new synagogue. That was an incredible effort. You know, we, we helped them record it and had events and helped them fundraise. We donated funds to it. They did all the literally heavy lifting, but Preservation Burlington was a, a proud partner in that effort, along with uh, so many other people. That was fun. That's definitely um, a success story for Preservation Burlington. It, it's a great one to be a part of. You know, I, I, we love that when, that when something like that can come to fruition. We're watching a bunch of other things. Memorial Auditorium is an amazing building. I think the architect was Frank Lyman Austin, I believe. It's threatened right now. It's been empty for several years. The city closed it out of fear for the structure of the building. It's been stabilized and mothballed. It's a venue, Memorial Auditorium. Okay. It was built in 1927 as a memorial to World War I veterans. Okay. And then they've added names after each subsequent war, right? And it was always a place where the city held events. Uh, so many people in Burlington for years have memories of going to see different musicians and music venues there. I saw Ani DeFranco there when I first moved to Burlington. Oh, cool. And, and that's just sitting em- empty right now. So we're really worried about that. Occasionally, since it's a memorial auditorium on Memorial Day or on sometimes the 4th of July or Veterans Day, we'll organize a bunch of volunteers and we'll go clean up the exterior and chop down trees that are springing up too close to it and clean up all the garbage. 
it's it, that's a that's a sad one, but we're we're still advocating for something there. The other one you can probably read about these on our website. And the other one is uh, the YMCA in Burlington, which is also was in a historic building. It built a new building a few blocks away and moved. And there's been two or three developers that have purchased it with grandiose plans to convert it into something, a hotel and a restaurant or housing. But so far, there's, it's just getting, you know, it's getting tagged with graffiti oh, and the man. windows are boarded up and it's just not looking very great, even though it's a beautiful building. So fingers crossed on that one. I was reading something where you're partnering with Champlain College. Yes, <laughs> that. We've done stuff like that in the past with different organizations or some of the colleges will need for uh, an NEH grant, a National Endowment of the Humanities. They'll get a, a grant for a project and they need a community partner. So often that'll end up being uh, Preservation Burlington. This one this year is with Champlain College and one of their students, several of their students actually, but one of their students is the driving force behind it is going to create a podcast <laughs> that would be say, interesting and a short documentary about the urban renewal neighborhood in Burlington. So all these things are sort of interconnected right now. So this project, the students are doing an amazing job. There's a photography aspect. There's a sound medium aspect that some other students are working on. The student I mentioned is doing the podcast and the history of the, the neighborhood in a documentary. That was Little Italy in Burlington, and in the 1960s, late 50s, early 60s, it was bulldozed for this shopping mall that I mentioned. Okay. And also the site where the cathedral is that we're trying to save, and the site where these develop these local developers are trying to turn that pit in the middle of Burlington back into some real housing and, and mixed-use commercial space. Again, they have great plans, and I hope they pull it off. They're reconnecting two roads that were were sort of disconnected by the shopping mall in the 60s. So this student is going to bring all these three stories together in a really interesting program that they will then, with Preservation Burlington in November, will we'll have a, a community event where everybody can come and see the project the students worked on and learn about urban renewal in Burlington and what that was, is, and how it continues to shape our community. Wow, that is very cool. You're involved in so much in the permitting process and all of those things and research on the history of buildings and homes. If you could change anything about Burlington City Preservation policies, what would that be? That's easy. <laughs> I think I, we, Preservation Burlington and myself, you know, as part of Preservation Burlington, and like you said, like a local busybody, um, I've been involved in the rewrite of the ordinance once and it's going through a process again there's always pressure local pressure everywhere i'm sure from developers and commercial property owners they tend to do the shaping of the ordinance you know and of course less is more in their from their point of view they want less and less restrictions right i think if i could change anything i would strengthen the ordinance surrounding historic properties right now we mention the eligibility of properties and the Secretary of Interior's guidelines as a starting point for what those properties should have to live up to. There's always pressure to make it any property 50 years old or older is what the national recommendation is. Burlington always wants to make it 75 years or 100 years. They always want to push it down the road a little bit. So modern, modern architecture and certain buildings are not going to be included. I would rewrite that ordinance so that 
all properties that are eligible for listing is what I would advocate for should be considered in the ordinance as historic. And then we should treat them as historic when it comes to review and what the requirements are. And it would just, you know, and that doesn't, like I mentioned earlier, that do- doesn't affect what you can do inside your home right. at all. It doesn't affect the colors you can paint your home at all. It's just about materials and, you know, the, the way your house looked historically and the way it looks. And that has an impact on every neighborhood, all your neighbors, you know, so it's, it makes people think about that impact. When you live in a town or a city, I think that's something that should just come naturally, of course, but it doesn't always. So that's why we have ordinance. And uh, that would that, be my one change would be to make that ordinance a little stronger for historic buildings. Okay. Yeah, that, the continuity of history is what you're trying to align to. Mm-hmm. Yes, true. That's all very true. And you know, I mentioned with the cathedral and, you know, my, we, oh, one year we did a home store of just modern homes. And we have a lot of local architects that are still around, still pretty renowned for modernist design in the 50s and 60s and even the 70s. And it's an underappreciated architectural style, I'll say. I mean, even some of, you know, everybody thinks Preservation Burlington or they think history museums. It's always Queen Anne Victorians or grand, grand homes from the, the turn of the century. Right. But, you know, if we're not looking at vernacular homes or if we're not appreciating modern architecture for what it is and what it was, we're going to lose it. And then there won't be any examples anymore, you know, and I think that's a shame. So, so we had a home store specifically of those buildings. And that was what was probably our second or third most popular home store. It really did well. And, and the posters and booklets became collector's items. Very cool. So what's the biggest challenge of preservation Burlington right now? Getting people to appreciate modern architecture. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I guess for our group, the biggest challenge is enough board members and volunteers. You know, we're always trying to rope our friends into getting on the board. I think our bylaws say that we should have at least 14 and no more than 21 board members. We've never had 20 board members. We always hover around 10 to 14, 15. So I'd, I'd like to see us have a stronger board in the sense of numbers, just have more people. It takes some of the responsibility off the other members and you know the opportunity to grow our, our volunteer base. You know yeah. We do have volunteers for certain things, but uh, we can always use more help. Absolutely. And if I want to volunteer, if I'm in the area or I'm visiting the area for the summer, let's say, how do I volunteer? If you found out about it or we found out about you through our website or through our Facebook page or something, then we invite you to a board meeting. And that, that ha- off, happens often, you know, I, I, as I'm crying about not enough help, you know, every board meeting, we generally have one or two people that sitting in to see what they can do and how they can be involved. Some of them will become a, a full on board member, but we always let them know that if you don't have that kind of time commitment or you're not sure about it, just be a volunteer on one of our committees. And, you know, we have subcommittees for development, education, advocacy, homes tour, communications, any one of those subcommittees, people can go to the breakout meetings. So we'll, basically you'll have two meetings a month if you're a board member, the board meeting, and then we try to have a subcommittee meeting of every committee once a month or every other month. Um, and we invite volunteers to go there and then they can find out what they can do, either lead a walking tour, help with a, a cemetery cleanup, communications. If you're, if you're good at social media, oh, yeah. you can help us 
update and maintain those those accounts that we have. The newsletter, <laughs> write articles for the newsletter. There's lots of fun stuff to do, you know. Very cool. So you mentioned that the Homes Tour was your major or primary fundraiser for Preservation Burlington each year. What are your funding goals this year? And are there any other funding sources? You sure are. Our communications committee puts out the newsletter. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, we're not membership driven anymore. So we, you know, as we collect emails and we try to make sure that they're current and active at all of our events, we have a little sign up sheet. So we have about three or 400 people's email addresses and contacts. So we send out about 400 copies of our newsletter. That goes out at least twice a year. We have a new board member, Bob Devineau, who works with me at Shelburne Museum. On He's part of Protection Services, a really retired librarian. And he's single-handedly putting out the newsletter four times a year now. So that brings in funds. Every time somebody gets a newsletter, we get a wave of envelopes coming in with $20, $40. All right. That, yeah, that's great. It just keeps the, keeps the lights on, like they say. So that's one thing. Separate from that would be the GoFundMe page, and that's specifically for this lawsuit or for our advocacy efforts. That will continue to exist. And donations from events. Uh, every time we have a regular walking tour, you know, people fill the jars. And, oh, <laughs> they fill the jars, and we set up a table. And Bob Devineau, who I mentioned, um, he sells our swag. So he's always at the table with hats and T-shirts oh, cool. and stickers. People can have a sticker for free, or they can give us a dollar for it, or they can buy T-shirts for $20. And we sell hoodie sweatshirts. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun, and people are really respond to no it. Kidding. I was reading about your digital walking tours. What's that about? I have no idea. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, Sean. That's out of my, uh, out of my purview. I'm, I'm not very tech savvy, to be honest. Just enough, you know. Yeah. I, can do a, I can do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, some of the board members that were grad students and also teachers, you know, they graduated from the, the Historic Preservation Program at UVM, stayed in the area, joined our board, and got jobs as teachers or historians places. They've put together an educational physical toolkit that schools can borrow. And then they've digitized some of our walking tours so that people can, and I, I can't tell you exactly how to access it, but, you know, with a QR code at some of our events or at the, at the cemetery tours, you can click on that with your phone. It'll pull up all the information and you can walk around and like just swipe through on your phone the story of where you're, you're walking. Oh, so that's, that's been cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's really neat. And, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people are accessing stuff that way nowadays, right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Well, Ron, it's time for a break for a few minutes. Terrific. Really appreciate this conversation, Sean. Thanks. I am as well, Ron, because I'm learning so much that I didn't know before about preservation, the challenges you face, and how to do it right and benefit the city residents. Thank you so much. Listeners, we'll be right back after these important messages.
Learn about Burlington's history and architecture by partnering with the Preservation Burlington Organization. Historic preservation and adaptive reuse contributes to stronger, safer neighborhoods, economic development, aesthetic beauty, and community pride. Partner with them to help advocate for the preservation and not demolition of several properties they're interested in saving on behalf of the community. Visit preservationburlington.org and learn more about this valuable local nonprofit organization. Donate, volunteer, and support them today at preservationburlington.org. You're tuned in to Preservation Oaks. Stream us from wherever you get your podcast. We're with you anywhere you go. Hello, this is Amuli Okudili. My family and I listen to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. We love Sean Thomas Radcliffe's interesting guests and learning more about our new country, America. Please support your local museum, genealogical or historical society. God bless America. This is Carrie Eilert from the Cedar Falls Historical Society, and I love listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Bruce McEwen, the chieftain of the Caledonian Society of Hawaii, and I listen to Sean Thomas Radcliffe in Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. This is Brian Stuckey from the Mennonite Heritage and Agricultural Museum located in Gossel, Kansas. I had a lot of fun as a guest on Preservation Oaks. This is Ben Terwilliger, the Executive Director of the Eudora Area Historical Society and Museum located in Eudora, Kansas. And I enjoyed being a guest on Preservation Oaks with Sean Radcliffe. Hello, my plebes. This is Cleopatra, Queen of the Nile. While I'm waiting for Mark Anthony, I'm listening to Preservation Oaks on MicroStream Radio. Nine out of ten genealogists agree, Preservation Oaks is the best podcast on the internet. If you're a historical or genealogical society listening to Preservation Oaks, and you'd like to be a guest on the program, please email preservationoaks at gmail.com. And now, back to Preservation Oaks. Welcome back to Preservation Oaks. I'm your host, Sean Thomas Radcliffe. We're here today with Mr. Ron Wanamaker, the president of Preservation Burlington in Burlington, Vermont. Ron, let's pick up where we left off and welcome back. Thanks, Sean. I'm really, I'm glad to be back and I'm really having a lot of fun. Thanks for reaching out and thanks for being so interested in our organization and our state. That's a great organization. Well, I noticed a number of organizations that are community-centered and focused within the area. How does Preservation Burlington interface with other organizations at the state and county and regional levels? We interface a lot 
sometimes we share members, board members. Somebody on the Chittenden County Historic Society will be a board member on our, because they live in Burlington, they'll be on Preservation Burlington as well. So we physically interface that way. And mostly through communications, you know, we donate to a bunch of these organizations. We get donations from some of these organizations. We give money to the Historic Society and Preservation Trust of Vermont donates to us just to show support for each other. And of course, we communicate via emails and other things when there's some way for us to, to join forces and help produce an event or Preservation Trust of Vermont. Their offices may be in Burlington, but they know they don't have to be in Burlington because we exist. So they'll communicate needs that they see that they would normally handle that they'll handle for other communities in Vermont. And they'll say, hey, can you guys take care of this or, or advocate for that in Burlington? So we'll, we cross-communicate like that. Okay, very cool. What kinds of things are available to do on your organization's website? Yeah, donation, communication. You could reach out to us for, for volunteering on a, any of our subcommittees. Sometimes, and I know we're, we're setting one up again, we'll have a, a historic scavenger hunt. That's been really popular in the past where our members will walk, our board members will walk around and take some photographs of architectural elements and we'll post those on the website and parents or anybody can download them and walk around town and try to figure out where they are and then fill it out and, and submit it. And X amount of submissions we get, you know, then we'll put them in a raffle and then somebody will get a, a an iPad was the last thing that we raffled off oh, cool. for people that filled out the scavenger hunt. That's that's always fun. You know, we try to keep it so it can be a little interactive like that, educational, geared towards, like I said, students and their parents or just anybody in the community that wants to walk around and take a look at some buildings and see if they can figure out where these this bracket, corner bracket came from or where this cornerstone with a date marked on it was, you know, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Very cool. You mentioned earlier that you have swag and you have a sweatshirt for sale. Can someone purchase those items from your website? I believe so. Yeah. I know that our treasurer is often the delivery person. So somebody in Burlington will donate through our website and and order up a t-shirt or a sweatshirt. And Jack, the treasurer, will throw them in his car and he'll zoom around and and deliver them, you know. (laughs) Oh, that's very cool. I was watching your CCTV Channel 17 program called Live at 525. And I believe on one of those episodes, you mentioned that you're looking for a volunteer to re-engineer your website. Is that true? That is true. The communications committee manages the website and they've been looking for a volunteer. The the website's gotten a little bit static. It needs updating. And again, that, that sort of stuff is beyond me. I know that we've reached out to the colleges, both Champlain, which has a very strong digital production program, and also UVM. And I think we have an intern lined up. But I don't want to tell people not to volunteer just because I've said that. (laughs) Right, right. Okay, very cool. So I want to go into a couple of questions that are more reflective in nature. What are your thoughts about how best to keep history and community support flourishing for the current generation? I, like I mentioned, I've just come back from the Historic Trade Summit in Providence, Rhode Island, and I'm more of a rush-ahead kind of guy, so I, I don't give myself enough time to reflect. So it's good to get away to a summit like this and talk to a bunch of people and think about you know, the preservation trades, or like you've just asked me this question about keeping history and community support while you know the, the younger generation coming up. 
that was a big topic. And somebody had a graphic on one of the PowerPoint presentations of, of a funnel. And, you know, they, they, they've done some data research there in Maryland. And they've come up with, if you reach out to 246 people, you're trying to get people interested in, say, taking a, a course on historic masonry or something. 246 people will funnel down through these different processes, you know, reaching them. How do you reach them, right? We have to go to where they are, either websites or podcasts or some sometimes physical events. Get that many people, and it all, all drips down to the bottom of the funnel where four people will take that course, and then one person will graduate that course and walk away with the skills to be a historic mason, say, you know. So, so these are the sort of things that I, I, I glean from going to these conferences that where, you know, if everyone around the country is wondering the same thing. How do, what does outreach look like yeah. and how do we continue to be current and, and viable to the, the next wave, the next generation of uh, people growing up and becoming adults and buying homes, you know, and you could probably answer better than I, you know, how, how do you get the, the word out about Preservation Oaks and how do you, you know, garner awareness and keep people interested you know obviously you do it with great content not myself necessarily <laughs> but i looked at your website and your information and the people you drum up and talk to is very interesting you know well, i've asked um, this question of all of our guests and i do so to get that very idea and get my arms around what the thinking is of these professionals such as yourself who are leading these organizations and the consensus so far, as near as I can tell, is you have to meet them where they are with their technology that they're comfortable with and potentially in the schools, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I was going to say that, I mean, I've mentioned Champlain College and UVM a few times, and there's others of CCV with the Community College of Vermont is right there in Winooski. St. Mike's is right next door in Colchester. That's another, it's a Catholic college, university. There's about four or five schools around here. So we have a, a critical mass of young people for good and bad, right? Town and gown, like I mentioned earlier, but uh, it's great. You know, it's, it keeps the community lively. There's a flourishing arts and music scene in the Burlington area. And we get a lot of historic preservation grad students from UVM, either as volunteers or if they stay around here, they become young homeowners in town and they get on our board and they, they're really good at continuing the outreach to younger people in the area through the colleges and letting them know what we're doing and that we exist. So, you know, if, if it were me, it's just the green markers. And I'd let somebody would say, hey, what's that green marker? It would start a conversation. But yeah. these younger board members are amazing at keeping us current and keeping us, uh, like I said, viable in, in the face of young people and letting them know we're here. Now, my second reflective question is, why is the organization important to the community and what makes your organization different or unique from others? I think uh, this is sort of, it's reflective, but I get, to, I'm, I'm going to feel like I'm patting ourselves on the back here at Preservation Burlington. That's good. <laughs> I guess so. You know, in, in a way, reflecting and taking the time to do that is important, isn't it? So we understand why we do what we do. I think we're important to the community because we raise awareness and pride. You know, our little green markers that we've mentioned over and over again, you know, people drive around and see that their neighbors care about their building. There's the date my building was built. They must know about it. And the more of those markers, which there's a lot now in town, 
people see them and they understand that Preservation Burlington exists. We're there for you. We help you learn about your own home as well as your neighbor's home and the, the neighborhoods. I think that's important. And it, it, it's a sense of pride in community that we foster that way. But I think we're different and unique from so many other historic societies that exist in places in the sense that that's part of what we do. But what we do is we also go to bat. You know, we, we get people from the community will email us and say, hey, somebody's letting their carriage barn rot into the ground. What's going on with this? So, you know, what the heck is going on here? And the community can reach out to Preservation Burlington and they know that they'll be heard and they know that we'll follow up with the city. We'll go to meetings, we'll go to zoning and we'll say, hey, what's going on with this property? How come that's being neglected, knocked down that way? And we've saved a lot of buildings. You know, we, we saved Henry's Diner, a tiny little diner in this that's historic. And it's so cute. And it's funny. It's like from that Disney movie, Home Again, or Home, where the little house was built up around with all these huge buildings. Yeah. And they picked it up with balloons to float it away. Yeah. Well, we saved this little diner, and it's in the middle of this huge development right next to a parking garage, a big office building. And people love it. It's just the owners have renovated it so the inside looks just like it's all updated, but it kind of has that 1930s, 1940s feel, Spanish mission style, one one level, one floor. And it's just funny to drive by and go, whoa, hey, what the heck? Where'd that historic diner come from? And it's still there because Preservation Burlington advocated for it. And, and we went to meetings and we, we made people realize that it was an important structure, you know, and, and it still sits there. The Varney House is another one that we saved, and that's now I'm just going to rattle off success stories. Yeah. But that was an Italianate vernacular Italianate building that was slated for demolition, and it became a, a shelter for women to escape abusive relationships. A local not-for-profit, we saved it from demolition. They took it over, and then it's it's been a wonderful resource for people for for many years now. When I ask this question, I always try to also think of the inverse of it, which is, what if Preservation Burlington wasn't there? You know, these markers, the histories of the homes, your advocacy, those are all seeds that Preservation Burlington is planting within the community. And the engagement that you do with the community, people are really busy all the time, just like you, and they have lives, and they don't have the expertise that you have in restoration technology and restoration methods and why these things are important. So I think Preservation Burlington allows the community at large to focus on that, which is so important to save their history. Thank you. I think you're right. And, you know, this has been very uplifting for me to sit and have this communicate this conversation with you. Thanks, Sean. It does make me reflect a little bit. And I'm listening to your words right now. And I'm saying, you know, it's 25 years ago that we didn't exist yeah. or 26 years ago that we didn't exist and what was going on and what would it look like if the, those two different groups didn't combine and create an organization that could do all the things preservation Burlington has done. You know, I know chopped up historic homes, fraternity houses that are getting demolished by neglect or abuse, historic outbuildings that are being bulldozed and, you know, planned obsolescence, short-term construction pop up in, a, in their wake. You see that all over the country, you know, places becoming like every other place, you know, with party board or vinyl siding and vinyl windows. It's all going to be bulldozed again in another 40 years. And we're stopping that from happening in a lot of ways. You know, we're encouraging people to not 
do that sort of thing, you know, or to, yeah. to look at additions to historic buildings and make them sympathetic to the, to the original building. I used to I travel that's... quite a bit for business. I would travel so frequently that I would not always remember what town I was in at the moment. I would wake up in the morning, pull open the hotel room draperies and look out. And I couldn't tell exactly where I was because there was the McDonald's that is normal and the Burger King that's normal and everything looked the same. And Preservation Burlington to me and organizations like Preservation Burlington make it so that it's unique and people can look out upon it and say, that's my home and I know where it is. Yeah, that's Definitely true. You know, and I remember and uh, also again, thanking you again for reminding me because, you know, I moved up here in 1998 because I love New England architecture. I loved old buildings. I was kind of worn out from traveling back and forth to New York City for my work. Yes. And it just everything was so fresh and new looking, you know, not new, brand new. But like I walked around looking at historic buildings going, wow, Burlington's got it all. It's great. And then over the years, you know, I tell people often, you know, my job is to see what's wrong, right? I have to find out what's wrong with a historic building. I have to see the negative aspects of it and try to potentially turn that around. And so my focus is always negative. So I walk around town now and I'm like, oh, look at that house is falling down or that outbuilding <laughs> or, oh, those windows have been replaced with vinyl windows that are now in this cycle of replacement every 20 years, you yeah. know, 15 years. And I forget and I get really grouchy, you know, but then speaking with you, I remember that Preservation Burlington exists. People are raising awareness and they're saving their windows and all kinds of buildings and not just the big fancy buildings where, you know, rich people can buy them and keep the big fancy ones and everything else falls apart or gets bulldozed. You know, yeah. Burlington's a community that by and large respects their history and the physical, the physical aspect of that history, which is our built environment, right? And I think it's really, I'm lucky. You're, you're reminding me how lucky I am. Burlingtoners are very lucky to have Preservation Burlington and have you as the leader there because, yeah, it would be completely different without that. Thank you again for the compliment. Ron, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. I've learned a great deal that I didn't know before, and that's wonderful, and I'm so glad to meet you. It is inspiring how much you and your organization do to help the community. Well, thank you, Sean. I really appreciate spending the time with you today. And uh, like I mentioned, you've really, you've made me focus on a lot of the positive aspects of the things that we've, as a group, done, Preservation Burlington. And, and um, you know, I'm leaving this, this conversation with you and feeling pretty good about myself. So I want to thank you again for that. Great. Wonderful. And with that, we'll end our time with our guest, Ron Wanamaker, president of Preservation Burlington in Burlington, Vermont. Listeners, please stay tuned for my comments and wrap-up, which is coming up next. lucky you all are to live in Burlington. Your town has it all. Summer fun and tourism due to Lake Champlain, the colleges, the history of our nation with Ethan Allen himself buried in the local cemetery and with a beautifully maintained monument. 
lots of skiing, the beauty of the town, and its historic properties. You know, I really enjoyed chatting with President Ron Wanamaker. You folks are also lucky to have Preservation Burlington. You have an organization with the expertise to fulfill their mission to preserve and protect the historic architecture and livability of Burlington through education and advocacy. When I use the term expertise, I'm referring to Preservation Burlington being a one-stop shop with expert knowledge of the zoning laws, the building and permitting process, intimate knowledge of historic restoration and building methods, and to quote Ron, Preservation Burlington preserves the physical aspect of history, which is our built environment. During our conversation, Ron also mentioned several success story advocacy projects where buildings have been saved because of the efforts of Preservation Burlington working with the community. One advocacy project underway at this time is Preservation Burlington's involvement in saving the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception from demolition. Built in 1977, just 48 years ago, that building can surely be used for some purpose by the community instead of being demolished. Please support this effort at preservationburlington.org or www.divinepine20.com. Hey, congratulations to Burlington and Preservation Burlington for their 25th anniversary in 2023. There's a movie by Frank Capra. It's called It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Lionel Barrymore. It's about a man named George Bailey. When George gets himself into a real bad jam and contemplates suicide, an angel named Clarence Oddbody helps George see what the town would be like if he was never born. I know what you're thinking. Now, Sean, what the heck has that got to do with Preservation Burlington? Well, I really hope that Burlingtonites far and wide help celebrate Preservation Burlington's 25th anniversary. And if you're in doubt about how lucky you are to have this fine institution, then ask yourself, what would Burlington be like without Preservation Burlington for the last 25 years? You can catch President Ron Wanamaker on the fourth Thursday of every month on the local CCTV Channel 17 on the program called Live at 525. He does a great job, and you can learn more about Preservation Burlington. The most pressing priorities of Preservation Burlington are, number one, strengthen Burlington's ordinance governing historic buildings. Number two, having enough board members and volunteers. Please volunteer today. If you're in the construction trades, you're a contractor, you work as a teacher, you're a good communicator, a people person, a writer, an architect, or a city worker that works zoning and building permitting, you can help. Number three, Preservation Burlington is seeking someone to revise and rehabilitate the organization's website. If you're qualified and interested in volunteering your services, please let them know. Preservation Burlington has an architectural history tour, great walking tours, and many other activities throughout the year. The organization is supported 100% by donations and the proceeds of the annual homes tour. Please help support Preservation Burlington by allowing tours of your historic home and joining the annual tour. Ron reviewed the funding and fundraising particulars of the organization during our conversation so you know where the funds are going and that it's going to a worthwhile cause. 
If questions occur to you and you'd like more information, please connect with the organization via the contact information provided in the program. If you're a listener in the area the organization serves, please consider supporting them. Preservation Burlington's contact information, their website once again is www.preservationburlington.org. You can email them at info at preservationburlington.org. Their mailing address is P.O. Box 481, Burlington, Vermont, 05402. And they're on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and on the local CCTV channel. Tune in to CCTV Channel 17 on the fourth Thursday of each month for Live at 525. You can also find them on CCTV's website, cctv.org. I hope this information helps the audience understand how valuable Preservation Burlington is to the community and what kinds of excellent services they have to offer. The Preservation Burlington organization is truly one of our preservation oaks. Okay, that's a wrap for this episode. Music used today is from Symbol Bird, Aaron Kenny, Tim McMorris, Floruz, Mike Stone, Quincis Moriera, and Scott Holmes. Microstream Radio is a registered trademark. You can visit us at www.microstreamradio.com. This broadcast is owned and copyrighted by Microstream Radio. It cannot be rebroadcast, downloaded, copied, or used anywhere without the written permission of Microstream Radio. Thanks to everybody for listening. This is Sean Thomas Radcliffe. See you all next time on Preservation Oaks, and until then, please keep on giving and keep on living the good life.